0: Okay, so this is the final week uh, of our series of Fearless, and uh, if you've been here, been part of it, you know we've been just kind of asking the question that says, hey, what would God do uh, with a church that fearlessly followed Him? And we've said this is really in many ways... actually a vision uh, conversation for 2013. What would God do with the church uh, if they just simply said, God, whatever you want to do with us, whatever wherever you want to take us, we will fearlessly uh, go there for a year. And if you were part of our first uh, Sunday, you heard us talk about this idea of growing up, that we felt like God was saying, look, there's a whole bunch of maturity that needs to happen in this place. And so the challenge was, what if you and I, fearlessly for 12 months just said god look you can do whatever you need to do in my life you you can make me uncomfortable you can you can nudge me you can ask me to go to a class you can ask me to go to a small group i I don't care but for a year i want to grow more than i've ever grown in 12 months before And and I'm just going to do this with all my heart, fearlessly for you, and see what you could do in my life if I let you grow me up as far as you could in 12 months. And some of us uh, that weren't here, uh, we, we took our weekly and we ripped the bottom part off and we just simply signed up. We had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people say, look, I'm making a new commitment for 2013 to just grow as much as I can. And uh, they put their names on that card, and then they wrote down, I'm interested in small groups, I'm interested in small churches, I'm interested in a men's study or a women's study. Uh, You could still do that. And I just want to encourage, if you haven't had that opportunity today, just rip the bottom off of your weekly, put your name on it. And if you're not even sure which group you would be interested in, in the big box, just write in there, hey, I'm interested in maturity, and, and someone will call you, and they'll help you find the venue that makes the most sense for you to grow as far as you could possibly grow in the next 12 months fearlessly for God and then uh, last Sunday we had this conversation about what what would happen if every single person who calls Cornerstone home fearlessly made Jesus more famous what, what if what if we just simply took our willingness to talk about him up a notch in other words, what, what, if, what if we, you know, some of us who uh, last year uh, didn't invite a single person to church, what if this year we said, look, I'm going to at least invite one person to church with me this year because that, that would be taking it up uh, a notch for me. We said some of us who last year had the opportunity to have a spiritual conversation and, and in that moment we, we went silent, what if this year we just promised God, hey God, if I get that opportunity again, I promise I'll take it, I'll speak out. And tell them, I really do. I believe this stuff about Jesus. And matter of fact, uh, one of the things we asked you to consider doing last uh, Sunday was for those of us who had never even done that first step of making Jesus famous, uh, who had never been baptized, who had never since we'd made a decision about Jesus, said, look, I'm just going to make it public. I'm going to let anybody know who needs to know I am a Christ follower. I'm going to get baptized. And so we we literally just asked people, would you get up out of the service? Would you go out there? We've got, uh, and, and get baptized. We had 255 people last Sunday. Go out, yeah. Our, our pastors are still recovering from their arms being all worn out and stuff. I, I was out there last Sunday, and, and I, I mean, I was just totally jazzed to see uh, how many people were doing it. And we had, we had this line uh, that everybody got into because they had to write down their testimony, and then they had to meet with the counselor so that we could make sure that they really understood what it meant to have a personal decision about Jesus Christ in their life. And then after they met the counselor, we sent them over to the Children's building, we had a room over there uh, where they could change their clothes because we were furnishing t-shirts and, and uh, shorts for them to wear because they, they didn't come knowing they were going to do this. So I'm out there and I'm watching. and I mean, it's just so cool. I'm getting swept away in the moment. So I go over to the line of people uh, that are waiting to change their clothes uh, over by the B building and I went, man, how cool, what, what a great decision, way to be bold for Jesus, man, so proud of you. And I watched as their eyes looked back in confusion to me. And I thought, you yeah, know, that's, that's a little weird. And as I walked away, uh, I realized uh, that wasn't the line to change their clothes. <laughs> that was the line of parents picking up their kids. <laughs> way to make a decision, way to be bold. You're taking your kids home with you. Yeah. Today, we're going to talk, in the last of this series, we're, we're going to talk about this idea of what, what would happen if, if you and I became a church that fearlessly decided not to live for ourselves. Th- what if we decided to live for those coming behind us, the next generation? You, you know, you realize there are really three types of churches in this world uh, there, there's the church of remember when. And if you've ever visited a church of remember when, you know that you were there because they invited you to the potluck after services. And uh, uh, at the potluck, they had green jello with shaved carrots and some sort of mystery fruit in it. And uh, the conversation went something like this. Remember when God used to change lives? Remember when God used to show up uh, in our services? And guys, this this doesn't take a a brain surgeon. Uh, You get that the church of Remember When already has one foot in the grave. That the church of Remember When is just waiting for their constituents to age out and then sell the buildings. There's a second type of church. It's the church of me and now. And maybe this is the most dangerous type of church because on first blush, when you first look at the church of me and now, it can look really, really healthy. I mean, you can walk in and you go, "Wow, there are crowds of people at the Church of Me and Now," and the the message was a great message, man, and, and the music, wow, I mean, the music uh, was amazing uh, music. Uh, and on first blush, the Church of Me and Now can look really, really healthy. But here's the problem with the Church of Me and Now: the Church of Me and Now likes the church the way it is now. Uh, they, they like the music that they have, they like the messages uh, that they have, and they're pretty sure uh, that if outsiders came to their church, it would somehow ruin it for the rest of them. It would spoil the porridge, and so they're going, look, here's the deal, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'd even want my neighbors to come to my church, because my, my neighbors are really weird people. And if they came, then that would probably ruin it for the rest of us. And and the type of music they like, oh my goodness. I I bet you they'd want us to have drums in church. And have you seen my neighbor's kids? I mean, my neighbor, they're, they're hooligans. And, and they start hanging out with my kids or they start uh, being on our Sunday school I bet they'd be a bad influence on, on the rest of the kids at church right, So here's the deal I, I, I'm just pretty happy with our church where it is and the way it is Because this is all about me and this is all about now And what the church of me and now doesn't understand is That although they may look healthy on the outside The reality is there's a cancer on the inside And just like a human being who you can look at and go, wow, I I thought they were in the prime of life, and not realize there's death making its way through their body. And and you stay a church of me and now for any length of time, you'll quickly become a church of remember when. Uh, There's a third type of church. And it's the church of next. Uh, It's a church uh, that simply says, hey, um, I wonder what God could do if we fearlessly made ourselves available to Him. I wonder what God would do if we were willing to be uncomfortable, if we were willing uh, to sacrifice. I I I wonder who's not here yet, who still needs to be in the room, and what's the next thing that God is going to use us to do. I I wonder what it would be like to have our children grow up to be better followers of Christ than us. And so this isn't about what makes me happy, but what what would it take to challenge my kids to to love Jesus more than me and and follow with deeper commitment and, and maybe even live lives that were holier than the lives of our parents. And the church of next is willing to do in the now whatever it means to make the next generation better than themselves. As you and I have this conversation today, you and I are going to be challenged I think to ask the conversation are we a church of next and maybe a little more personally are you a christian of next are 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 you living your life right now for me and now or are you living your life in such a way that the people coming behind you will love your jesus more than you are you a follower for next. Hey, grab your Bibles today and uh, we're going to take a look at the story of a king of Israel uh, who is a king of me and now. And he absolutely sells off the next generation. He's so worried about making his kingdom comfortable for himself, he doesn't care what it means for those who come behind him because he's the king of me And now, so grab your Bibles. It's going to be 2 Kings. And if you're not real familiar, if you go to the very front of your Bible uh, and then you start working to your right, you're going to find 2 Kings. I can help you get there. It's right after 1 Kings. I had to go to seminary for that. Uh, 2 Kings, uh, chapter 20. Now, here's what you need to know It's it's a story that happens in the life of a king of Israel by the name of Hezekiah. The thing is, get this, he's a good king. He has spent his entire life, up until now, uh, being a Christ follower. Matter of fact, uh, one of the things that he's done during his administration is that when he came into power as king of Israel, uh, there were all sorts of false gods and idols on all of the hills surrounding Israel, and many of the Israelites were going and worshiping these false gods and idols. And one of the first things Hezekiah did is, look, we're tearing those all down. We're we're not going to even tolerate that anymore. We're only going to worship the one true God. What you got to get and understand the moment, this guy has been a great king. He is a God follower. His stumble is that at the end of his life, he becomes a king of me and now, with horrible consequence. So here we go, it's Second uh, Kings uh, chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Uh, here's what it says, in those days, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, became ill and was at the very point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to, uh, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Okay, I'm just going to say that's a bad visit from the pastor. You do not want the pastor coming to your hospital room with that message. Verse 2. Uh, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed to the Lord, Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah the prophet had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears, I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up into the temple of the Lord. So he didn't even, he wasn't even expected to survive. And he says, no, 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 you're going to be healed and you're actually going to be able to go worship in my temple. I will add 15 years to your life and I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. Now, here's the cool part you need to grab in this moment you get that Hezekiah's prayers, get answered, that, that God listens when you and I pray. And God, somebody's going to say, this is a big deal because some of you right now are in tough straits. You're, you're in a moment in life, you're going, God, I, I don't know what I do for my next job. I don't know what I do with my kid who's living in rebellion. I don't understand how my finances work out. And I'm, you just need to hear me say, prayer is powerful and prayer changes the circumstances of our. here's a guy who gets 15 more years because he prayed and i'm just telling you there is nothing you are facing right now that is beyond the capacity or the power of prayer so do not lose faith do not lose hope stay on your knees when it's bigger than you it's not bigger than god back to the passage skip down with me to verse 12 at that time uh, Murdoch Babylon, Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he heard of Hezekiah's illness. Hezekiah received the envoys and and showed them all that was in his storehouses. Okay, so get the moment. This foreign king, he, he's the king of Babylon, hears that Hezekiah has been healed. Now, here's why this is critical. Babylon is a perennial enemy of Israel. Uh, more often than not, they're at war with Babylon. And here this pagan king hears that Hezekiah has been healed. He's shocked by the information. How is that? No one recovers from this illness. And so now he sends messengers to say, what happened here? What, how, how, was it a misdiagn- What? What happened that you're still alive? Back to verse 13. Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, his armory, all of his weapons, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, what did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came from Babylon, you know, where all the pagans are. their perennial enemies. Then the prophet asked, what did they see in your palace? Well, they saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There, there's nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Now, don't miss the moment. Because everything is about to turn for Hezekiah. Because, wait, 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 because he lives a moment of his life pretty sure it's all about me. Think about this. When God grants Hezekiah 15 more years, what do you think that God knew (laughs) that that information, that healing of Hezekiah was going to be so dramatic and so astounding that the king of Babylon, the pagan king, the perennial enemies of Israel, was going to hear about it, and you ready? In curiosity, send messengers to say, what happened? And in that moment, think about this, in that moment, what if Hezekiah had said, there's this God that all of Israel served who has the power over life and death, and he's more powerful than any God that Babylon worships? What if in that moment Hezekiah had realized that this was all about God becoming famous? And and think about this. What if the king of Babylon had become converted? What if the king of Babylon had become a God follower? Do you realize the enemies of Israel would have laid down their swords and they would have been at peace with this pagan country? But instead in the moment, what does Hezekiah do? Hezekiah says, look, I showed them Everything in my palace and in my armory and all of my weapons and all of my treasures. I showed them everything except God. And in that moment, Hezekiah steps into the spotlight. You get that the very reason that God gave Hezekiah 15 more years, he was creating a platform. He was creating a moment of notice for the people around him so that God could become famous. And Hezekiah says, no, 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 no. This isn't about God. This is about me. And how great a king I am and how powerful I am and how rich I am. And and it's all about me. And here's what Hezekiah misses. That when you and I receive something from God It's not about me It's not about you It's about him Which means When you get that promotion at work you've, you've got to stop and ask this question Why did God give me this promotion? I mean is this all about me having more influence And more status So that I can just wear better clothes And boss more people around Is that why God promoted me? Or is it possible that God gave you more influence and gave you more finances so that you could leverage those for his glory? Because, because, you ready? Because it's not about you that he gave it to you. See, that's why every one of us has to say, hey, uh, you know, why do I live in the house that I live in? See, I mean, why did God give you that house? I, I mean, is it, is it so that you can adopt foster children and they can come into a Christ-centered family and see what that's like? Is it because, so you can take a foreign exchange student and let them come live with you for a while and see how Christians behave and live? Maybe it's just so that your neighborhood would have a light in it and that there would be a family that's different than the rest of the families in your neighborhood. But, but you and I, in any moment that God gives you and me something, have got to ask the question, Why? Why did God give me 15 more years? Why, why did God give me the home that he gave me? Why did God give me the money that he gave me? Why? Because, because you ready? Because I'm pretty sure it's not about me. And it's probably about him. And, that, and that whether that's influence or whether that's fame or, or whether that's finances or a relationship. I... I can't step into that. I can't waste that on myself. A couple of years back, it was uh, Super Bowl 41. Uh, two guys, Tony Dungy, Levy Smith, were the coaches of the two teams, the Chicago Bears, uh, the Indianapolis Colts, that were going to play in the Super Bowl. It, it was an interesting moment because no black coach had ever taken a team and won the Super Bowl. And now, because both coaches going to the Super Bowl were black, everybody knew history was going to be made. And there was buzz, guys. I mean, there was every you couldn't turn on ESPN and there weren't people talking about this. It was everywhere and suddenly Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith had unbelievable amounts of fame, unspeakable attention upon their lives. Here's the interesting thing. Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith are Christians. They're Christ followers. And they begin to ask this question of themselves, I wonder why God has given us this notoriety? And, and they saw past the circumstances and said, look, 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 look. This probably doesn't have so much to do with the fact that we're black as it does to do with the fact that God made us black so that in this moment we would have attention. And I wonder what God is trying to do with us. I wonder why God gave this to us. And in response, uh, Tony Dungy and Lovie Smith uh, they ended, ended up buying a full-page ad uh, in USA Today with their pictures uh, on the ad and this statement. Uh, here's here's what they wrote in in the midst of all the fame and all the hoopla. On Sunday, one of us will be world champions. It's the ultimate goal, but we know that there is more to life than football. Even when you achieve the ultimate, something better lies beyond. We're pro football coaches, but we are also men of faith. A faith that defines who we are. It comforts us in tough times and produces hope in the midst of adversity. It is through our common faith in Jesus Christ that we have individually experienced God's love and forgiveness. Now, guys, I'm just going to tell you that's powerful. You, you, get, you get the moment. Here's a moment when all of the attention is on Lovie Smith and on Tony Dungy, and you get what they did in the moment. They recognize this is not all about me. It's about him. And they leverage that fame. They leverage that notoriety for the name of Jesus. This just seems so easy, doesn't it? I mean, when you read Hezekiah, you go, Hezekiah, 15 years, I mean, what were you thinking? Why do you think God gave you 15 more years? You want to look at Tony Dungy and and, uh, Lovey Smith and go, I mean, guys, no, this, this, I mean, that was obvious. It was an obvious moment. You were supposed to use that for God. How come this is so hard in our lives? How come when we suddenly get a raise financially, uh, when we get that new house or new car, promotion at work, how come, how come it's so hard to think, hey, I wonder why God gave me this. Because I'm pretty sure, you ready? I'm pretty sure this isn't about me. I'm pretty sure this is about Him. And, and why do we so often just go, mine, mine. Why, why is it so hard? And, and isn't the answer... Fear. fear, fear that if I sacrificed, fear if I didn't use it all on myself, fear that if I didn't consume it on me, there wouldn't be enough for me. There wouldn't be enough fame, there wouldn't be enough money, there wouldn't be enough room. And what if, what if you and I fearlessly stopped, taking everything that God gives and using it on ourselves and begin to use those moments to divert the attention and the praise and the fame to him. So let me just ask you this question. Are you using, are you using what God has given you for you or are you using it for him I'm just asking that the house that you live in the job you've got the finances at your disposal the, the people you have influence with is that all about me and mine and living in fear that says if I don't consume all of this on myself then maybe there won't be enough or have you asked yourself the question to say why did God give me a house like this and why, why do I have a new car and why do I have the financial resources that I've got and the relational resources that I got and is it possible that God gave me 15 more years? That God gave me what he's given me for him? And guys, I, I think more than us answering that or just as much as us answering that as individuals in a church, I think you and I have to answer this as a church. I think you and I have got to say, why has God given Cornerstone so much? I mean, stop and think about this, guys. And I know, I know we just went through a recession, and I know, I know stuff's been tight financially, and I know our neighborhoods are not growing like they once were. But stop and think about this, because, guys, I'm just going to tell you, I got a feeling that in a couple months, things are going to be a little bit different than they are now. And you and I are going to have to answer this question. I, I wonder why God gave us so much. You realize that you and I live in Maricopa County, which has for years been one of the fastest-growing counties in the entire United States. You you and I go to church in a church that's in Chandler, Arizona, one of the fastest-growing cities in all of Arizona. Our church is on the 202 and Alma School, the premier north-south street in Chandler. And, And I'm just wondering, did he give us all of this for us? Or was he hoping that you and I would understand that he'd given us 15 more years, that he'd, he'd given us something that we were to leverage for him and that we weren't supposed to c- consume it on making us comfortable and, and making everything satisfying for us, but that we were to leverage it for next. We, we were to leverage it for the people who aren't here yet. And, and you get, you get, guys, I mean, this service is packing out, the service before us is packed. We're running out of chairs. And you and I are going to have to decide, is this all for me? Or do we need more chairs? Because there's some people who are coming next. There's some people behind us. Back to the passage. Not only is King Hezekiah the king of me, uh, he's the king of Now. Hey, as, as, long as, as long as now is okay, I don't care what happens in the future. And, and I, don't, I don't care if the people behind me have to suffer, and I don't care if their life is harder. I don't care. As long as I'm comfortable, and as long as I'm taken care of right now, then the future can worry about the future. So back to the passage. It's verse 16. Uh, then Isaiah uh, said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace. So Hezekiah, all those things you bragged about, all those things you showed off, all those things you were sure that the only reason you had them was so that you could selfishly use them for yourself in your own glory. All those things. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that, that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Remember those people? Remember those people you were supposed to show the glory of God and instead you showed the glory of Hezekiah? Remember, they're going to carry off all the things you bragged about. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, some of your sons and daughters, your own flesh and blood will be born, uh, that will be born to you will be taken away. And they will become eunuchs in the palace of, the ba- of Babylon. Now, I'm just thinking, look, if I'm one of Hezekiah's sons right now, I'm going, time out! Time out! This is a bad plan. The me and now plan doesn't work very well. I'm not thinking this whole carried off eunuch thing is where we need to head. Interestingly enough, though, look at what Hezekiah's response is to the information. Verse 19, here's what Hezekiah says. The word of the Lord you've spoken is good. Hezekiah replied, for he thought, there will not be, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? So as long as it's good for me, as long as I'm taken care of, as long as I'm okay for now, who cares? What happens to those coming? Who cares about my kids? Who cares about those who aren't here yet? As long as I'm okay. You get you to get this moment. He sells out the future so that he can be comfortable. And, and I don't know about you, but I just, I, don't you just want to say to Hezekiah, Dude, how selfish on your part. I mean, look, look, this is, this is happening because of you. What you ought to do, Hezekiah, is go back to God and say, Look, 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 look. Take back the 15 years. Just kill me now. Don't, don't, don't make everybody behind me suffer over my vanity and over my selfishness. But he's not going to do it because he is the king of now. You and I, you and I end up left with the same decision. You and I live in a moment that says, do I live for me and now? Do I live for my present comfort and satisfaction? Or do I live that the generations coming behind me are better than me? Let me tell you two things that a church of next, a people of next have got to be willing to do to live for next. Number one is this. Our goal has to be our children. Our goal has to be our children. That they would be better Christ followers than we were. Anybody ever seen a relay race? Okay, one of you. This will make a lot of sense then. (laughs) Okay, for some of you that have been living in a cave for a while, a relay race... uh, is where someone starts off with a baton and their job is to take a lap around the track and when they get done, they hand the baton off to the next person who then takes a lap around the track for the team. And the idea is to run your leg as best you can so that you put your team in the best possible position for the future to win the race. You realize that every single one of us sitting in this room has received a baton. That there is a generation that lived before us that handed you and me the baton. And in some cases they handed it well and some they didn't. But right now, right now is our leg. And, And it is our job to take this and run this race as best we can. To do the very best we can to set up the next generation to live for Jesus better than us. And guys, when I say better than, I'm not saying better off. See, this isn't about your kids having more money than you had. Truth is, the best thing you could do with your money is spend it all. Make them earn their own. (laughs) Nothing will ruin them any quicker. Okay, this isn't isn't about them having five-seater swing sets because you only had a two-seater swing set. This this isn't about them having a two-year-old car because your first car was a clunker. That's not better off. That's just spoiled. This is about them loving Jesus more than you love Jesus. This is about them following more passionately than you ever followed. This is about them being holier than you were holy. And it's setting up the next generation that when you and I hand this off, they are set up to be better than us. And the truth is, guys, I want to run this lake so well that in their efforts to be better than us, they're scared out of their minds to try to keep up with what their moms and dads did. And guys, this, here's what you need to hear. This isn't just your physical children. This includes our spiritual children. Because you get, you get that every single Christian who's not as far along as you is your spiritual child you're the parent and you're helping them as children in Christ to come. Years ago, I'm, uh, I'm a junior in high school and this little eighth grade guy by the name of Owen uh, starts following me around. It was weird. I, I, I would be in the middle of a conversation, I look over my shoulder, there's Owen. <laughs> just watching me. I, after a while, I was pretty freaked out. I went to my youth pastor, I went, dude, I woo, I, don't, I don't get it. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know if it's a man crush. I I don't know if it's a bromance. I don't know, but it's just weird. My youth pastor looked at me and he smiled. He goes, no, dude, I'm a grandparent. And I said, what? He said, no, 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 no. I've been your spiritual father. You're not my physical son, but I've been your spiritual father. And I have invested in your life that you would be a better follower of Jesus than I am. Owen is your spiritual son. Go invest in his life that he would follow Jesus better than you. There's a second thing. You and I have got to make room for the younger to come and be the church with us and to lead with us and to be part of this Guys, you know what happens so often in church? Everybody hangs on to control and everybody hangs on to leadership and then they get to 80 and they go, well, I guess it's time to hand off the baton to the whippersnappers. I'm a little worried because those 60-year-olds are pretty impetuous. <laughs> it's not what this is, guys. It's you and I right now saying to young people, to young lead, come, come do church with us come be part of this thing that God is doing, which means, guys, there's going to be a lot of facial hair on the platform. Uh, it, it, it means that your, your pastor may ha- change his hairdo every three weeks. Uh, it means there may be bets about tattoos and fog in the services. And guys, I get it, I get, it, I get it. I get that for some of us that are older, there'll be music that, that we don't like. But you get what we're saying in that moment when we say, look, this isn't about me. This is about them. And, and, and I, I, I'm not going to make a church that's all about what makes me comfortable. I'm going to be part of a church that makes them comfortable and, and invites the younger generation, invites the people who aren't here yet to come be in the room with me because I'd rather live for next than live for me. And I just want to speak honor into this room because I know there are people in this room and you come every Sunday and you go, that is not my music. And I'm I'm just telling you, capri pants on the worship leader. Wow. You know, I, I get it. I get it. But what you've said in your heart is this, I'd rather be in the room where God is doing next than to be in the room that's about me and mine so that after church I can go to lunch with my sons and my daughters and my grandchildren and talk about what God is doing. So here's the question. You got anybody in your life who You've taken what God has given you And you're giving to them That, that they're going to be better off in Jesus Because of you Will someone ever stand at your grave and say I, I'm just telling you I'm not even their physical son I'm not even their physical daughter I'm just telling you that where I am in Jesus I'm there because of them Because they gave and invested in next And that was me Recently this, uh, this kind of came home in my life uh, It was actually my, my son And uh, he was living in Hollywood And, and working uh, kind of in the film industry there And that had me a little bit concerned Because of the influences and, uh, He wasn't uh, going to church As much as his dad would have liked him to go to church And so I just decided I said look I'm I, I don't even know what to say or to do And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to pray for my son every single day and, and I knew I would forget, so I went out and I, I bought myself a bracelet, and I just made a commitment. I said, "I'm going to wear this, and so that I see it every single day, and when I see it, I'm going to pray for my son that he would draw that much closer to God. And I also knew that because of his age and stuff, he probably was going to be making decisions pretty soon about who he was going to marry. And so I just prayed, "God, would you bring him just an absolutely godly Christian woman into his life?" And I prayed about it every day. I, I bought my son a bracelet. And I took the bracelet to my son and I said, look, I, I, I just want you to wear this bracelet and, and I, I hope this bracelet will remind you every single day to pray for your dad. And I'm, I'm wearing one and I'm praying for you. Can, can I just be honest? I, I didn't care if he prayed for me. I just wanted him to know what the bracelet on his dad's wrist meant. That his father every single day was praying for him. do you have a next? Do you have a son or a daughter either physically or just spiritually that every day you're investing your life in? We went out and we uh, we got some bracelets and, and we're just going to make them available to you at the, at the cost we paid. We're not going to try and make any money, but I, I just thought it'd be pretty cool if some of us in here just said, you know what, I'm I think I know who my next is. I think I know who I'm supposed to be praying for and investing my life in. And, and I'm just, for a year, I'm going to wear, and every day I'm going to pray. Every day I'm going to ask, hey, God, what would you want me to do in their life? For next, because it's not about me. It's about next. And maybe you want to buy them a bracelet uh, too. We, we're going to have them out in the lobby. They're right by the bookstore. We'll sell them for cost uh, so that you could do that. Yeah, I think not only individually do we got to figure this out, I think we got to figure this out as a church. Our buildings are filling up uh, We're asking people to go out to tents In order to do maturity And I know, I know Some of you are going Well, that's okay Because I've got my seat And my kids have got a place in the room I get it But if you and I were thinking about next Then I've got a feeling That some of us That are attending this service right now Would start going to the 1150 service So there'd be seats in here again Or maybe the 5 o'clock service or somewhere, somewhere as a church, we're going to have to get serious about blowing some walls out and, and making this room because there are some people who aren't here yet that are next. And we are have to decide if we're going to live for me and mine or if we're going to say, I wonder why God gave us this. You just need to know that five years ago, before we built this building, uh, we were doing services over in what we call the Student Center right now. Everybody had a seat, everybody had a place for their kids. And we said to them, there's people who still aren't here yet. And the very room that you're sitting in, if you've been here for less than five years and you have a seat, it's because five years ago we chose to be a church of next. And, and I'm just telling you, I know we're not ready yet. And I know the moment's not here, but I'm just, pretty soon we're going to have to make this decision again. And I'm just praying that we answer it right. Will you and I be a church of me and now? Will we be a church of next? A people of next? Let's pray. Here's what I'm just going to ask you real, real quick. Who is it in your life right now? You say, you know what, someday, someday they'll say, man, because of them, Because they weren't selfish And because they didn't take everything That God had given them And use it on themselves But instead they invested in me Man I am where I am in Jesus Who is your next? And if you can't name anybody Then I'm just going to ask you To simply ask this question Is it possible that God has given me All that he's given me And done in my life All that he's done in my life Just for me and just for now. Or was he hoping? Was he hoping that I would step on the, off the platform of selfishness and bring glory to him with my job, with my house, with my family? Was he hoping I'd be a person of next? I think we've got to answer this as a church because we've got a place for our kids and we've got a seat on Sunday as long as you push you've got a seat but what would it mean to be a church of next to believe that God wasn't done with us and that there were people in our community who still needed to hear the story of Jesus there were children in our community who needed to hear about a savior and if we were a church of next we'd make a place for them Dear Lord Jesus God don't let us be the kings Of me and now Help us to realize that Everything that touches our hand You gave us To leverage for you And whether that's our fame Or whether that's our finances or Our time You gave us that 15 years That your name would be glorified help us to be a people of next that our kids would be better than us that the next generation would tell stories of our sacrifice and our willingness to live for them and this we pray in jesus name